Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to interview our special guest today, Jonathan Cotton. Let me tell you a little bit about Jonathan before we get started here. So with a background in accountant sales and the relocation business, Jonathan became a business owner in January of 2014 when he purchased a Good Feet store in Richmond, Virginia. That was his first Good Feet store, by the way. We'll get to that. In 2012, he first visited the Good Feet store due to suffering from plantar fasciitis. We have that in common, Jonathan. Thankfully, it's in my past as well. And he found so much relief from Good Feet Arch Supports that he ran his first marathon that year. He returned the following year and told the owner that he loved the product. I love the story. The owner looked at him and said, you want to buy the place? And he did. And he's loved the experience of owning the business that truly helps people. Since then, the franchise has expanded into Tidewater, Washington, D.C., Maryland, North Carolina, Ohio, Tennessee, and Alabama markets. And Jonathan looks forward to what God has in store for the future. When he is not working on the business, Jonathan enjoys reading, running, spending time with his five children and 12 grandchildren. Jonathan, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. You ready for this? Absolutely, Alan. Thanks so much. I'm excited to have this conversation and I'm just, I'm really just blown away. I mean, we were talking just a minute ago and when the last time I saw you was in the fall of 2017 and you had, you were in the process of opening your second Good Feet store and now you have how many? 32. Yeah, we currently have 32 stores. Yeah. From uh, Cleveland down to Mobile. <laughs> this is a it's been quite a ride, Alan. <laughs> quite a ride. How, okay, so how I wanted to ask you this, and I haven't yet. So how many Good Feet stores? It's a, is it franchise, correct? Yeah, it, right. it's a franchise. And and when I bought the one in uh, Richmond, the original one, I think there was around 70 then. And so now there's like 275 stores in the country. Yeah. Wow. And when did you, you bought the one in uh, Richmond? Was, was it 2014? Yeah, it was 2014. Like, like uh, in the bio, I came in and I had the similar journey like other people have, you know, had plantar fasciitis. At that point in time, I like to to run, but it, I would probably, the most I ever ran was maybe seven or eight miles. And, but the, the plantar fasciitis was reduced me down to a mile or two. And, you know, I was 48, 47 years old. I wasn't ready to sit on the couch quite yet. And I tried all the different stuff, got shoes and different things, and and it went in and got these and and I uh, got the art supports and they resolved it. And then um, part of our company story and our our business story is definitely interwoven with our daughter Kayla's health journey, and she began that year, 2012, began a very very serious health journey. And as a result of that health journey, I say, you know, the Bible says to be still and know that I'm God, and I'm not sure that. I followed that as much as maybe run, forest, run or something, uh, you know, with uh, the, the forest Gump or something. I'm not sure. But anyway, to resolve it and just to help with the stress and, you know, of, of going through that whole process, I just began to run longer mileages in September that year. I said, nope, the Richmond Marathon is coming up in November. I think I'll give it a shot. And so I I ran my first marathon. Not a great idea to, to have six weeks preparation to do that. Wow. And then... Kayla continued on with her health journey. We came back the next year and I was preparing my, to go run my second marathon. 
And that's when I walked into the store and literally I said, I'd never had a product transform my life like this. And the owner said, you want to buy the place? And uh, I'll just wrap it with this. I'll say this about Catherine, my wife. If you took a, a survey of the world's population, she would fit on the risk aversion scale on the very conservative side. You know, she, her ideal would be for me to work at the post office or something. And, and I say that she took two enormous risks. One is when she said yes to a 19-year-old. I didn't even have a job that was paying me a regular salary. And she said, yes, I had $150 in my pocket. And the second is, after working a career for over 25 years, I come in and said, hey, I had this conversation and she said, her response is about buying the store. Maybe you should think about it. And so here's this risk averse person that gave me a green light on two occasions and she embraced incredible risk. So anyway, wow. we go. <laughs> I love that story. I love that story, man. We have so much in common. You know, my wife, Nicole said yes to me at age 19 as well. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> at least I forgot if you had told me that before. I too had plantar fasciitis and I really should be a spokesperson for your company, Jonathan. I'm such a believer in the product. And I don't know if I've ever even really told you my story, but before we, I ask you any other questions or we go any further, can you just simply explain to our audience what plantar fasciitis is? Because that's a big sounding word that sounds really complicated and weird kind of, but it's not. Yeah. And not that long ago, I don't think I even knew how to spell it. And now <laughs> it's probably one of the uh, the greatest sources of our business is people come in and the plantar fascia is a band of non-elastic tissues that runs on the bottom of your feet. And when you lose the arch support or put pressure on it in a way, then it tries to stretch it and it doesn't stretch. And so it talks back to you by getting inflamed. And so by having the arch supports, and we talk about it having a war with the concrete asphalt, you know, all day long, uh, that's naturally trying to flatten out our feet. And by giving our feet that, uh, that support, then we see success with so many people and helping them in that regard. And so that's what I found that, that shoes and other things just could not address because a mass produced shoe can't address the nuances of what you need for, you know, the feet and with good feet specifically, most people don't realize you have four arches in the foot. And so the arch supports are designed to support all four arches. They there, it's a semi-rigid type of support. So it needs to be very personally fitted. So it makes it to where it's something that the brick and mortar experience is very unique and and kind of presents for us, it presents a degree of a hedge against the competition from Amazon or something like that, that, that often a lot of brick and mortar retailers feel. So Right. Yeah. And can we describe what it, the arch support is? Because in the past, when I thought arch support, and I don't know if I'm in the minority or the majority of the listeners, but... I thought of like, I thought insoles, like inserts that you yeah. slip into your shoes and and not something hard and rigid that gave such incredible arch support like these are. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, Alan, there's a lot of symbolism to life here. We often have a problem and often we think about how can I deal with the pain? And often to resolve the pain in our life, we have to do difficult things first that don't necessarily initially relieve it to get the long-term relief. And if, so if you think about your feet, you have pain, you want something soft. You have something soft, it does not give you the structural alignment that you need, not only for your feet, but for your entire body. So by providing that structural alignment with the arch support, with the goal is to design to not only support the arch, but then also to provide the alignment all the way up through the body. So it's counterintuitive. You think pain needs soft. Instead, pain and providing structural support 
actually gives the body what it needs. Yeah. And so it's a workout for the foot. And initially, a lot of sometimes when people put it on, it's like, oh, yeah, that's that's kind of a lot going on. And we equate it to how you feel when you're sitting on the couch. And it's like, you know what? I really should work out. And we reason as to all the reasons why we should stay on the couch. But if we do the hard things and get out and work out, and over time, it feels good. And then then it just is part of our life. I love that analogy. It, it is, uh, or the symbolism, I guess. It reminds me of the quote I just, I love reminding myself that if I do what's easy, life will be harder. If I do the harder things, life will be easier. And that's kind yeah. of, in essence, kind of what you're saying. What percentage of the population has plantar fasciitis? Do you know? I think, uh, you know, it's it's something that in any of our markets, if we could help all the people that have plantar fasciitis, we would have more business uh, than we could ever, you know, say grace over. And there's different statistics on the amount of people that currently have foot pain. I think it may be like one in seven or whatever. It's uh, it kind of varies. It's a lot. <laughs> and yeah, and I was up in New York uh, last weekend, and it was at a a meeting with podiatrist. And sometimes podiatrists will see that we're kind of a threat to our business. And as I stood in front of this group of sixty podiatrists, I said, "Let's think about it." If you did a survey of a thousand people in all of our markets, let's say that there's 200 that have either come to the Goodfeet store or gone to your, to one of your offices. Surely there's tons of people more that need that. And so it's kind of the challenging, the scarcity mindset and the abundance mindset. But it's from that standpoint, it's a great business because it's not a niche business. It's, it's maybe you could say it is in one sense, but it, the need is ubiquitous, really. Yeah. Obviously, if you've grown from, well, I mean, you personally from one store when I met you to 32 stores now and the franchise you said has gone from 60 to 200 and some odd? 275, yeah, I think is the number. Wow, right. and like in 10 years or less than 10 years, that's phenomenal. You've obviously had a ton of success, Jonathan. What would you say has been one of the keys to your success? Well, I'm glad, Alan, that I went into business at 48 rather than 28 because I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have been ready then uh, on a lot of different levels. Um, so just to give you a little bit of background, when I was 10 years old, we lived in a beautiful home in Albemarle County in Virginia, right outside of Charlottesville, 70 acres, 5,000 square foot home, just just beautiful home and cows and uh, Mercedes in the driveway. My dad had a private airplane and the economy in 1975 took a downward turn and he went bankrupt and we lost everything. So that was a defining experience. That kind of has frames uh, how you look at business and that kind of thing and how you look at risk. And then when I was in ninth grade, I decided, you know what? I just don't know that I, I think I'm going to, to not do public school anymore and do homeschool and work on a farm. And so I presented, I still don't really understand totally why my dad will let me do that, but I did. And so I worked all day on the farm and then would do my school at night and graduated with a degree from American school in Chicago, Illinois, where I would send my test in and, and the mail back in the old days, and they would send back the results. And that's the highest level of education that I have. And then I went into sales and sales is a great business to be in because nothing happens until somebody sells something, basically. Uh, so if you learn that that skill, then that, that can be really you know, applied in a lot of ways. But the tutelage, if you want to call it that, of working for other companies and seeing, you know, the mistakes and failures of, of other companies and 
having the opportunity to work with as my career advanced and worked with some really good companies that treated their employees well. And you can kind of make some mistakes on somebody else's dime to a certain degree, Alan. Uh, it's not quite as consequential when you're in your own business. Be humbled some, you know. And for me, focusing on my kids and helping them get raised. And if you raise five kids, that will bring some humbling to you also, you know. And so then it's just kind of like it, it happened in a way that I believe it was just the Lord's timing. And I had always thought I was saved the night before I turned 15. June 11th, 1979 is when I got down beside my bed and asked the Lord to, to save me. And from that time, I thought that I would maybe pursue ministry and, and go into ministry and, and kind of did in a way. But then our our religious fellowship that uh, over time I began to realize it was toxic and not biblically aligned. And we left that right about the time that I went into business. And it was almost like the Lord saying, because uh, it was very traumatic. It was like a very, it was like a midlife crisis in a lot of ways when something that has been your life uh, that you've raised your kids to embrace, that you thought was the answer to a corrupt culture, and that implodes. It, and then you realize that you've been involved with this and you share some responsibility for the influence that you had. And so there's a lot of guilt and shame and everything like that that gets, and, and it was almost like the Lord knocking on my door and saying, embrace my grace and we're not done. And that's how I describe the start. And that's really how I describe our journey. It wasn't because of some brilliantly executed plan. It was really the Lord bringing things to me in my life along the way. And it's been a, an incredible blessing. Well, I love just hearing you give honor and glory to the Lord for all the blessings in your life, because it's so easy, especially, especially having the level of success you've had for any of us to start thinking that we could have done that on our own or somehow we're so sharp. I mean, that's just human nature. And so that one, one of many things I appreciate and respect about you, Jonathan, is your humility. And that's why I'm, I'm honored to call you a friend. I love, love hearing that. I hope that encourages all of our listeners too, to hear that perspective from somebody that's, again, as successful as you. You mentioned the traumatic event of leaving the church that you grew up in and knew and that really that whole culture and in your mid forties, is that when you were, was that the age you were? It was late, late forties, really. Cause it was, it was almost exactly at the time that I started in, in business. Okay. Yeah. So would you say that was the toughest thing you've had to deal with at this point in life or, or not? I mean, it's right up there. I think the impact for both me, the impact on Catherine, the impact on our family, there's a lot of ripple effects with that. And a lot of things that you have to, because again, if you, if you have a, a framework that you tend to interpret life through, and it's not that the things that have continued on is knowing that God loves me and knowing that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross and for my sins, and then offers me life. But I think it's been a, a progressive thing over time to truly embrace that truth. And what Romans 8, 1 says, there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And, you know, one of the things, there's a there's a program on TV called American Greed that I, I haven't seen in a while, but I don't know if you've ever seen it. And, and it's, uh, CNBC puts it on, but it basically recounts 
a lot of things where people are scammed about things like the Bernie Madoff kind of things and, and that kind of thing. And it's always interesting to me when you watch that and you look at the people that have been on the other side of that, that a, a common thing that's expressed is the shame. Why didn't I see this? And I think that any time we have those types of experiences, whether it's a, a relational or, or a religious or a, or a business thing that we didn't think outright or we trusted somebody else and they then then I believe the enemy will use that to drive us down and to drive us away from the love and grace of God. And and so when you process that, and it takes not days, not weeks, not months, but years, really, that's really an ongoing process to really understand that and to truly believe that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's where I can live and that's where I can go. And when you embrace that, then I think whether you have failure or you have success, it's not about you. And so you're able just to level out, I guess, is the, is the way to say that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. So that season in your late forties, when you're leaving that church and starting a business for the first time on your own, did you say that was right on the heels? Was that that same season when your daughter was sick like earlier on yeah. in our conversation? It was all kind of intertwined there. And part of the thing of that helped me be able to see the toxic elements and the non-biblical elements of the religious association that we were part of was going through the experience with Kayla. And when you walk beside somebody in a healthcare system, and I always have all the respect in the world for the doctors and nurses and the work that they do. But invariably, you're going to come across situations where someone, you need to advocate for them. You need to advocate for some people to listen to them and that kind of thing. And it's, and it's just kind of interesting. Being on the receiving end of that, in a way, almost allowed me to be able to see kind of what I was a part of and even maybe myself in that and to say, oh, how I'm feeling right now, maybe how somebody is talking to me or talking to my daughter, I probably communicated the same types of things at, at times. And so being able to see that and to think about that through, and it's a little bit hard to maybe communicate that entire thought, but I think that it's, it's a lot of it is around on how authority is used and how influence is used. And if you ever are on the wrong side of that, then it gives you great empathy for people who don't have power or who are on the, in a vulnerable spot. And I think that informs too, a lot of our culture here within our company that's helped us. We have a very employee-centric culture, and a lot of that is is informed by that. That, Like I said, I'm not sure that would have been that way if I had been 28 years old as opposed to 48, but I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Do you mind sharing what you were dealing with with your daughter at that time? Sure. Now, she lost her ability to eat in 2012, so we didn't know what was going on, and it was kind of a, a progressive or a regressive thing over time, and then Finally, she was hospitalized. And so it's it's really hard to diagnose something like that. But eventually she was diagnosed with gastroparesis with the underlying condition of mitochondrial disease. And so she's had, you know, 50 different hospital admissions, over 100 visits to the ER since, since 2012, and five sepsis infections. Just an incredible, incredible journey. Made the decision in 2022 that she wanted to go on hospice, and she was on hospice for about a year and a half. And then midsummer last year, moved back to palliative care. So she's just been through a journey that's indescribable in so many ways, and there's just a lot of components to it. 
and including other things that are just, you know, yeah, would have a, take a book to, to really go through it. And when you have a child, Alan, you, you don't expect some of those challenges. You don't expect to be in that spot in, in different ways. And then one of the things too is when any time that you go through those deep waters, then often you're exposed to other people who also go through those times or any time that things happen. And in her case, even after going through all of these things, then she went through some other very, very serious things that where she was, you know, sexually assaulted. And again, that's not something that you ever envisioned being on the receiving end. Right. And it creates a roaring sense of pain that emanates from a place that you didn't even know there was that that could be generated from, you know, right. all of those things put you into a, a place before the Lord where, you know, it's time to really hash life out. And what is it that really matters? What endures? And I think for me, some of it was maybe always being measured a degree by not necessarily by financial success, but certainly success in marriage and the home and those kind of things. And so feeling like, like if you've failed in some way, that was like the most devastating type of, of thing. So now you have the, the church experience, you have Kayla's experience, and it starts to get layer after layer after layer on this. And then, oh, by the way, you're, you're running a business too, you know? Right. And, um, but I found many, many cups of cold water that came to me and I was ministered to really through the business. And I think that that's part of why I'm very passionate about what we do, not, not advocating being a workaholic or anything like that. I think you need to be totally disconnect and, uh, focus on other things other than work for sure. But I think that it doesn't have to be that clear division always between when you talk about work-life balance, you know, as though work is not life, you know, or something there, you know, so that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It does make sense. So, so the business has been a key, if I understand you right, your the business has been a key instrument or part of your life that has really been beneficial. And obviously business has its challenges too, but it's been a key part of your life to help you process through a lot of the challenges that I know you're still going through. I mean, you just said she's been on hospice for what, a year and a half and just moved to palliative care recently. How do you view that? I mean, I know, I don't know much about the book that you're writing, but I know you're pretty passionate about your business and business in general and how it business as a ministry. How do you view business, I guess, in light of ministry and also just in the midst of going through challenges? What role your business played in that? Yeah. Well, it's interesting, Alan. I think we live in a, in 2023, we live in a time where a lot of institutions are being challenged. Certainly government's being challenged, right? Right. Education uh, on all levels is challenged as to how reliable it is or, or the function that it has and all those kind of things. Certainly healthcare is, is, could be a challenge for those that experience that. And the church has been challenged. And for many people that are in a different generation than, than you and I are, say those that are, and I always get mixed up on all the generational stuff, but you know, those in their teens and twenties today, many of those, it's, it's hard to get them into a church. So we have this opportunity of business to not necessarily to proselytize, if you want to call it that, but to live out what Jesus said. And we hang in every store that we, at every location that we have, we hang on the wall, 
a quote from George Washington Carver, and it says, how far you go in life depends on you being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant of the weak and strong, because someday in life, you'll have been all of these. And that quote I had hung on to for a number of years, but when I started business, I said, I want this to be our people philosophy. Love that. And if we do this, if we treat people this way, doesn't matter if it's an employee, a customer, the UPS person who delivers our mail, whoever it might be, then we should be okay, you know, from a people standpoint. And then we extended that into our, our vision that as an employer, EC Step Enterprises is committed to providing a safe, respectful environment full of opportunity for anyone willing to embrace our mission and values. And then as a retail business, we sell more than solutions and comfort. Our customers are buying hope. And as members of our community, we walk beside people on their journey, regardless of their need, because we're people who love our neighbors and we believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. So those three things in a very intentional progression there, that instead of normally, often in a retail environment, you'll see people that they start with the customer and the customer is kind of the person that they're oriented to. And sometimes if the employees aren't careful, they'll run over the employees to get to the customer because uh, you know they can't wait to give that credit card out of their hand to, to, to swipe it. Instead, if you start with your employees, treat them well, respect them, value them, develop them, guess how they're going to treat your customers? The same way. And then if you have your employees and your customers taken care of, that's obviously it's not something you reach a destination on, then you should be able to have something to invest in in the community. And so, and the thing is too, uh, with that, Alan, is that, so, so I think this, this, this thing called a business has this place where people spend so much time together and how many people look forward to going to work, but this is an opportunity to treat each other well, to treat our customers well, and then to be able to target how to help our community and, and identify needs it's very hard for big institutions and organizations to do it in the same way, you know? Right. So, yeah. I love it. And I'm passionate about the same business as missions and, you know, business being, our businesses being putting boots on the gospel, so to speak, and taking it to the streets. And like you said, where most people will never set foot or many, almost maybe many anyway, will never set foot inside a church. And nothing warms my heart more than people, even in things that we do in business. And I'm sure you've got plenty of stories yourself, just knowing you and how you operate your businesses. But people saying, hey, you know, even within Nicole and I's business saying, this is more. Been in a lot of churches. And I said, I'd never set foot in another one, obviously with a bad experience, right? Yep. And saying, this is more like the, the church or what the church should be than the churches I've been a part of, which is sad. Yeah. But what an exciting opportunity is your saying to to come into the community and really serve needs in the community on levels that many if not most churches just aren't able to do well i was just gonna say it's not a and, I, and saying that i'm not saying it's a challenge to as a replacement for right. churches for fellowship in that way or anything like that but and i think um it, it's so inspirational just to see people's journey and, and hear about it and 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 to be able to come along beside them and encourage them and to Provide, you know, one thing that I, I find is that often women who are mothers, often it's very difficult for them to find a good environment, working environment that respects them and allows them to 
did that as much as possible allows them to balance that huge commitment if they have a commitment to really care for their kids and then to be able to earn a living too. And we were able to provide that, you know, in the pandemic, one of our longest serving employees came to me and she said, I want to homeschool my kids. And I said, that's great, Katrina. And she said, well, the problem is it's going to be hard for me to, you know, to come here to the office and then to be there with them at home. And I said, well, why don't you bring them here? We have a conference room. They can do some of their homework in the conference room. And then other days you can work virtually. And make a long story short, it was just a great experience during that time of life to be able to come along and, and help them and, and her and not have to make those choices that you wouldn't want them to make. So I love that. I love that. Before I jump into a few other questions I have, tell us a little bit about your book that you're writing. What is the heartbeat behind that? So it's called The Business of Character, and it's really to talk about culture. It is not something that is an accessory that is just like outside of the business operation, but it's really actionable. And I love college basketball. And one of my mentors is Tony Bennett, who's the coach of the Virginia Cavaliers. And Tony has some very specific pillars for their basketball team. They had in 2018, they came into the NCAA tournament as the number one overall seed and lost to a 16 seed, first time ever in NCAA history. And it was a crushing kind of defeat. And he said, adversity is a gift. I'm not making that writing the quote, but he, he just spoke of adversity as being a gift. And then they went on the next year to win the national championship. And he runs his basketball, a whole approach to basketball on so many things. And the pillars are kind of an expression of biblical truth that he extends out. And I think it's the same thing in business, the same opportunity in business, that culture is strategy. And that was, again, one of the things that I had to get over is feeling like I wasn't some big, brilliant business strategist and still convinced of that. <laughs> but I believe that culture is such a huge part of strategic focus. And if you establish that and create a dynamic culture, then it can really power a business. So good. Can't wait to read your book. Any idea when that's going to be coming out? Yeah, we're in the final stage of the goal is the goal is have it done by the end of December. It's not, but it's uh, we're, we're working on it. So hopefully- okay. Uh, and, and just to give you an expression of what, how culture can be my executive assistant, Laura Warsher is, is a tremendous help. And uh, she homeschools her three kids and uh, works full time and does a lot, but she works primarily from home. But I had talked about writing a book. And so she assembled from all of my, from emails and put them into a book form and said, hey, I know this is not the, the ultimate form of this book's going to take, but she gave it to me as my a birthday present of this book. And so then we kind of use that to do the, you know, the, the ultimate thing. And so it'll, it'll have a different look, but that was, you know, just a blessing to me that she wanted to do that and, and support, you know, what we were doing. Wow. Sounds like you've got a wonderful EA there. That's so cool. You mentioned the coach said adversity is a gift. You just mentioned that a yeah. minute ago. I forget the coach's name now, but yeah, Tony Bennett. Yeah. Yeah. So adversity is a gift. How do you view adversity, you know, challenges you're going through currently with your daughter, challenges you went through with the church years ago, other challenges that I'm sure you haven't even mentioned? How do you view just in hindsight challenges or even challenges in general at this point in life? Yeah, yeah I got the quote right now for you. Tony Bennett said this was like 10 minutes after they just had this historic defeat. And he said, Adversity, if you use it right, will buy you a ticket to a place you couldn't have gone any other way. Love it. And so I think that 
adversity, and as part of why I believe that people sometimes shy away from growth, and sometimes people ask me that question, why are you growing? When I said, well, it's not really because I don't need money. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, uh, we don't live on a high lifestyle and you know, just don't need to feed that uh, engine, you might say. But I think growth stretches you. Again, it forces you to do the difficult things. And I think adversity in all of its forms will do that. The pandemic for our business really set the stage for our future growth. Because when the pandemic hit, we shut down for six weeks. And we really, I didn't know if this was like a version of musical chairs and I wasn't going to have a chair. I really didn't know. But what it did is it forced us to examine all of our processes and we established a central training program that's now become really the core element of our sales success and, and our people's success. And so that's just an example of how adversity can produce a lot of good things. I just think you learn a lot more from your losses than you do from your wins. Yep, 100%. I couldn't agree more. Well said. What advice would you give to others, Jonathan, who maybe are going through their own challenge right now, trial, adversity? Or, or maybe they're not. Maybe one's right around the corner for them and they will be here soon. What, what advice would you give to, to them in the midst of their storm? Yeah. You know, Alan, I think one of the things that adversity can present, we have a value. It's our really our, our, our core value called radical integrity. And, and, it, and it's wholeness, alignment, and consistency. It's the courage to truly see ourselves, relate to others, and to face the demands of reality. That language comes from uh, Henry Cloud's book on integrity. And, and I think those times when we are forced to stop, look in the mirror and say, who am I at the core? Who am I really? And can I be at peace with that? Well, as a believer in Christ, I don't, I can't imagine any other way other than to say I have peace with God. And so at my time of greatest failure or greatest defeat, I know that he loves me. I know that my success is not based on anything else. It's based on on really that foundation of his love for me. And so he loves me when I'm struggling. He loves me, you know, when everybody's clapping and applauding and all that kind of stuff. But I need to return to that place. And and so that's what I would encourage anybody is to get in touch with, understand who you are and to embrace who you are, embrace it through God's love and that his love is universal, extended to everyone, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's a verse that almost everybody has heard, but it has embedded such dynamic and explosive truth. Such great advice. Thank you for sharing that. If you could go back in time and give younger Jonathan one piece of advice, what would you tell yourself? I think a lot of it comes down to accepting and embracing who you are, because I always, I think for a long time, I just struggled with that confidence. And some of it was, you know, I was raised by a dad who was a construction guy and he was type A, you know, squared. And I wasn't good at construction. I wasn't good at driving nails or I wasn't good with the wrench or anything like that. All those things. I was around a lot of tradespeople, you know? And then over time, I realized that actually I could embrace those things and those things could be a gift. I didn't, they, they weren't a deficit because then I could really focus on the things that I had been given and, and that I was blessed with. And so I think to the degree that we can all just focus in on that and just be, say, 
give me the strength and the power and let's see what you can do, God, with what I have here. And I just offer it up to you. That's really what we, you know, we think about Romans 12, 1, about the uh, living sacrifice, living offering, basically saying, here I am, Lord. Okay, what's going to happen next? Yeah, I love it. I may not be like him or her or have his strengths or her strengths, but I was created uniquely me. And God can use anyone. Is that what you're saying? And God can use any one of us and anyone listening to this podcast to do whatever it is that he wants to do with our lives. And although you can turn around, hey, we have that in common. I mean, I, I actually was a carpenter. But mechanic, boy, when it comes to mechanics and cars, that's not my not my jam. Yeah, Catherine's learned not to not to order furniture in a box or anything like that to put together because it's like, yeah, that that's probably not going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> but boy, have have you tapped into your unique ability, God given ability, and maximized it over these last ten years? Phenomenal, phenomenal, what you've done. Hey, Jonathan, I've got just uh, several, just kind of rapid fire, thirty second kind of quick questions for you here that I love to ask. You've shared a couple of great quotes. So I don't know if one of those is it or if you have another one, but do you have a favorite success quote you might want to share with our audience? Yeah, I'm going to give you one that it's going to hit you in the face like a wet mop. All right. Okay. I'm ready. And this comes from my friend, Wayne Jacobson, a devotional that he wrote called Lived, Love, Full, Free. And he says, anytime that my success in life depends on another person's response, I will manipulate them. Mm. Now, how is that inspirational? <laughs> because what that goes to is the why. Why am I, what's in it for me? And when we attach ourselves in that way, in a very unhealthy way to other people, I think you can really create a lot of problems. And I think that can be true personally in business and, and everything else. So that that may be a little bit of a curveball as far as uh, success quote, but there you go. <laughs> so it, so let's see, let's see if I got that right. Anytime my success is tied to another person's response, I will manipulate them. Is that what you said? Yes. And think about this, Alan, just r- real quick. Think about so many of the, the sales training does not, if you apply that quote to sales training, it doesn't survive the acid test. And, and if you think about often in our relationship with our kids, and, and by the way, I got to say this, our journey in business, there's no way that we would have gotten to where we are today without my sons that are active involved in the business. Jaron, who functions as our chief operating officer, he's the one that takes all my dreams and visions and, and puts them into action. And Jennings, vice president of marketing and, and development, who understands that marketing is not just about pretty pictures and pretty things, but there's a lot of science and, and, and systems in that. In 2017, right about the time that you came to our home, Alan, my son Gentry had received an insurance settlement and he was like, I'm thinking about maybe buying a place or anything like that. And uh, by buying a store or something that he could do. And I said, well, like a subway or something. And I said, well, if you want to invest it, you, you can with us. And, uh, and so he just sent me, writes me a check for $50,000 when a bank would probably require my life for $500 then. And so he's been an investor. And uh, even though he has a, as a police officer, you know, since 2017, and that's, those are such blessings with all much with Joseph, with Kayla, with Jaron Jennings and Gentry, and then my grandkids and Catherine, the support from her. It's so much not about me, Alan, really. There's so many contributions to that. And yeah. So anyway. Well, I think it's great. That's super cool. So you've got a couple of sons working in business with you. 
and a third one that's an investor with you, a silent partner, essentially, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. He's acting, he actually gets involved with different things, but it's hard, you know, because he's in Texas, but, uh, but he'll get involved with different things too. Okay. So, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So now I got to ask, okay, what do you tell your salespeople? Because they're all obviously doing a great job selling your products. How do you explain to them that in light of this quote, that their success is not tied to the other person's response, or is it tied to the other person's response? Like how, how do you help them understand that? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll give you two things. One is, again, another Henry Cloud book called Boundaries, understanding what someone owns, what I own, and what you own in a relationship. And so if you come into the Good Feet store, what I own is sharing with you and engaging with you, asking the right questions, all those things. I own my commitment to a process. Right. You own your response. I have no control over that. And so... It's, it's some of you think about a basketball coach, what you own is your adherence to a process and your adherence to a, a game scheme and those kind of things executing there. You do not own if somebody else suddenly gets on a hot streak, you can shoot everything from 30 feet out. You know, you can't control that. You can't control what the ref does. You can't control all those things. And so it's very, very similar in business. The other concept is a strategic coach concept called always be the buyer. And basically in a very short thing, basically that concept, it is that if you're the buyer, then you will develop an attraction and a leadership and an influence where people will say, I want to follow this person and what they're doing. Instead of me trying to convince or arm wrestle Alan to do something, I'm basically establishing myself as the guide in the process. And I think that works in so many different respects. When I first started I decided I'm going to write a radio spot. And I said, hi, my name is Jonathan Cotton uh, with a Good Feet store. And a number of years ago, the pain in my feet was debilitating. I tried shoes and drugstore cushions without results. Finally, I went to the Good Feet store and found the answer. Personally, fit art supports. They helped so much. I ran my first marathon that year. And then because I believed in the Good Feet system so much, I bought the store. Now, that was me just writing out my story. What I didn't realize, it was a blind hog finding an acorn, Alan, is that it connected and resonated with people because I think they said, if he's willing to do that, I'm willing to go check it out. Yep. So good. So much wisdom. I wish we had three hours, Jonathan, but I know we got to wrap this up. So what would you say is one habit that has helped you become successful? I think the time in the day that I treasure the most is getting up early. Last year, I completed the 30th round trip through the Bible. It's reading the Bible. And that time preceded my commitment to exercise but I believe that time of just allowing yourself to be still and know that, that I'm God, listen, and to uh, just engage in that way. I'm thankful for that. It's, it's, uh, it's a calibration. It's inspiration. It's all those things. Love it. What great advice. And did you say 30 times reading the Bible total or all in one year? No, 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 no. Okay. No, uh, there are some people that do those kind of things. I was just talking to somebody that was doing that. No, that was just. 30 years of reading the Bible, you know, every day. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what I assumed. And then I thought, the way you add stores to your inventory, <laughs> I mean, you, you might have just read the whole Bible, you know, a couple times a month. I don't know. Whatever that would be, like two and a half times a month. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. What, what would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've received from somebody else? Somebody just gave this to me recently, actually, as I was dealing with stress over something that I knew I shouldn't be dealing with with stress about. 
and it was an employee. And they said, the, the success that we've had within the company has really been light in a dark world and embracing the, the things and treating people the way Jesus would, would have you treat people and, be, and, and you would want to be treated. And in this situation, I think the key is, is just to keep loving them and, and let the Lord do his work, you know, in them. And so that verse, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God in the Amplified rule in your hearts, act as umpire, deciding with finality all questions that arise. And I think in those simple ways, when we're challenged by people to just to put our faith into action in simple ways, it's, I feel like it's, Alan, it's one of the hardest things to do. And it's the most critical thing for us to do. So good, Jonathan. So good. Is there a book that you'd recommend for the Life's Hard 60 Anyway audience? Obviously the Bible and then the book Integrity, I, I really love. And one that I just recently picked up that recently somebody gave to me called the Peace Index that I'm in, enjoying. And that's one that I currently have. But the book Integrity, I read that probably 15 years ago. And, and it made such an impression on me that it was something that I wanted to, you almost say, you know, form our culture around to a real degree. Is it a business book? Yeah. A business now, Henry Cloud, the, the, okay. the author, Dr. Henry Cloud, the one who wrote the book Boundary, co-author of the book okay. Boundaries. Yep. Yeah. And, and it really helps you think about it in a way that's much more comprehensive and in-depth than just thinking about integrity as honesty or those kinds of things. And that's where the, the wholeness, you know, consistency alignment comes from. Yeah. I love that. Hey, what is Jonathan Cotton's definition of success? Do you ever think about that? Like your definition? Yeah, I do. Again, that was in a, a coaching session last year. And it was with Dan Sullivan, actually. And he said, he asked his question, they often ask, a year from now, what would have to happen for this meeting to be a significant event in your life? And so when it came to me, I said, if a year from now, I'm waking up with joy every morning, you know, we all have our plans, everything like that. But I think if you can, when your feet hit the floor, if you have joy, well, what more? That's pretty successful, I would say. Yeah. And that's what everybody wants. I love it. What excites you about the future right now when you think about that? As a Christian, the best of both worlds from this standpoint, Alan, is that even though there's a lot of problems and things in our society, we haven't experienced in America for many of us near the things that some other people do. Right. And so there's an opportunity there to live out our faith as Jesus would want us to do. If something should change dramatically, if we should have ever experienced war on our home front, then we have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We have the guidance of the word of God that Hebrews 11 is not made up of people who had primarily of people who had cushy lives. And so for a believer in Christ, there's opportunity. There's opportunity. If there's a crisis at the border with people coming over the border and, and there's no political solutions, there's opportunity for us to respond. If there's an opportunity for, you know, whatever the issue, whatever the social issue might be, that the fields are white to harvest, but the laborers are few. So that that's when I think about the future. I think about opportunity. I love that perspective. There's opportunity, whether in good times and bad times. Yeah. I had a mentor of mine say many times when he knew I was going through something really challenging, he would say, don't hit your head on the ceiling. And I didn't really love hearing it in the moment, uh, to be honest, but it was such a great reminder. I did appreciate hearing it very much. And he was referring to that James 1 passage 
that says to count it all joy when you encounter various trials, troubles, challenges, adversities, right? And that's what I was, my mind just went to when you were sharing that. Like, if things get worse, there's opportunity. Yeah, there's no question about it. And, uh, and then I look back on some of the things that growing up, my dad would always talk about, you know, what it was like to grow up in the depression. And I think about some of those memorable things in my life have been those gut-wrenching times in the hospital with Kayla, which I never want to be there again. But that's when you, your faith takes root in a way that it just doesn't come any other way. Exactly. This has been awesome, Jonathan. How, what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you all along on your journey? Any, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, I'm not the best on managing social media. I find it's, uh, it can be a little bit of a distraction, but I do have a LinkedIn profile. They can find me on LinkedIn. And that's probably one of the better ways to connect if folks are out there. And then uh, anytime you're in the Richmond, Virginia area, I always love to connect and, and engage, you know, that way too. You know, the book will be coming out here sooner rather than later. And so that'll be an opportunity to be able to share and I look forward to that. Well, Jonathan, I'm going to give you the last word. Any closing comment you want to leave our audience with, I'm going to let you do that. If I had to say one thing, everybody should just be comfortable in the role that they're given. And this is my role, but I have great respect and I was raised to respect some of the people that would work with my dad. I can remember a laborer that, that worked with him and we were taught to watch how he handles a shovel, watch how he handles a hammer or those kind of things. And so to be what the Lord wants you to be wherever you are. And I notice when people do a job well, sometimes when it's not in the spotlight or maybe it's not glamorous or maybe it's not high pain or something like that. And, and there's such honor in that. And I believe it glorifies the Lord and that that's could be somebody taking care of kids at home or whatever it might be. And so wherever we are to, to do that, that would just be my thought. And, um, I'm always glad to share, but I think that one day those that are believers in Christ, we will get to heaven and God will reward as is appropriate. And I think there'll be many people that'll be, that will get tons of rewards that didn't get them in this life for sure. So yeah. we know that picture. I love that. that. That is so encouraging. What a great word to go out on, Jonathan. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I really, really appreciate your time, value it, and appreciate everything you shared. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contacts page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.